The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. Well, come stand over here together. There we go. All right, let's sit here. We can sit. We can all sit here. Okay, good job. Yep, those are that's exactly right. All right, so the the coloring page that you do look at is the one that has the uh, the flowers on it. Does everybody have one of those? Does anybody need one? Anybody not get one? I got one. Get one over there. We'll go get one to Matthew. You won't need it right now, but we'll, we'll, we'll look at it in just a minute. Good job. All right, let's sit. Everybody sitting? Okay. So last week we talked about why the church is set up different during Easter than it is the rest of the year. Does anybody remember why we set the church up this way? <coughs> anybody? You remember the three parts of the church? We talked about the three parts of the church. What's the porch called? The narthex. And what's the middle of the church called? The middle of the church. But yes, it's called the middle. But in Latin, we call it the nave. The nave. The middle of both. And the area in the front is called the chancel. The chancel. So during Easter, all of us together sit where? In the chancel. That's right. We move the altar here so that during Easter, all of us are sitting together in the chancel because Jesus is alive and nothing can separate us from him. Nothing can separate us from Jesus anymore. Jesus is alive. And what we said last week is that this isn't just a story, like stories that we tell, okay? God, the Son, is Jesus. And Jesus lived, and he really died, and he really was made alive again by the Father. And right now, he really is the King of the universe seated in heaven. All of that is real. Now, in our creed, every single week, we say, on the third day, Jesus rose again according to the scriptures. Now, that's a funny way to say things, isn't it? According to the scriptures. What do you think that means? Tell you have a guess? Aren't scriptures like, really, like, like the Testament? Yes, that's right. We believe that the scriptures are God's word written. Okay, so these are God's words to us. So when we say something is according to the scripture, what do you think that means? Do you have a guess? What do you think it is? Um, they have to be polite and and give people something and and be happy to everybody. Okay, that's a good guess. What do you think, Michaela? Um, I think it means that it has to like, come from the scripture. It has to come from the scripture. That's all right. So one of the things that we we mean by that is that according to the scripture means because the Bible says. Okay. The Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, all of the Gospel writers told us the story of Jesus because it actually happened. And so we believe that Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible tells us that Jesus rose from the dead. But you know what else it means? 
It also means because the Bible promised that Jesus would rise from the dead. And that's a little bit different because that's the story that God has been telling us from the very beginning. From the very beginning of the story, God has been promising his people over and over and over again. The whole story of the Old Testament is God telling his people, I love you and I will come to set you free. That's the whole story of the Old Testament. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, God tells them, I love you and I will come to set you free. And when Abraham feels lost and alone in the wilderness, God says, I love you and I am coming to set you free. And when Moses doesn't understand what's happening and the people are slaves in Egypt, God says to them, I am coming to save you and set you free because I love you. And when David doesn't understand what's happening around him and he's, he's trying to be king, but it doesn't seem like it's working out the way that he thought... God's promise to him is, I love you, and I'm going to come and set you free. And even when God's people continue to sin, even when they chased after other gods, even when they lost all of the things that they had, they lost their country, and they lost their temple, and they lost their worship, and they lost their families, God still said to them through the prophets, I love you, and I am coming to set you free. And so when Jesus comes to us and says to us, I love you, and I am here to set you free, he does that because that's what the Bible has been telling us all along. That's the story of the Bible, that Jesus loves you and has come to set you free. Do you know what it means for Jesus to set us free? What do you think? It has to do with sin. <laughs> that's right, it has to do with sin. Jesus sets us free from sin. Jesus heals the brokenness in our hearts. He takes our sin away. And he is our king. So last week, we read the gospel story about Thomas. Do you guys remember the story of Thomas from last week? St. Thomas was one of, the, uh, one of the apostles. Do you remember what it was, Ian? Yeah? He wasn't there when Jesus showed up the first time. And so he said, you know what, unless I touch Jesus, I'm not going to believe that he is alive again. And when Jesus came, Jesus said, here I am, Thomas, believe. And do you know what Thomas said to him? Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And that's a prayer that you and I can pray today. That's a prayer that you and I can pray every single day. We can say, Jesus, I love you. You are my Lord. Remember, Lord is just a word that means king. You are my king. You are in charge. You are my king, and you are my God. That's a prayer that we can say right now. Do you guys want to say that with me? Jesus, I love you. You are my king, and you are my God. That's right. That's right. We can say that every single day. All right? Now, I've got a memory verse for us to take home this week. Okay? It's on your page with the, with the flowers. Do you see there's a verse there? So I want you guys to color a picture of flowers, and then I want you to put that on your table because you need to remind your parents that they're going to work with you. <laughs> so make it really pretty and put it right in the middle of the table. All right? Can you do that? Yeah. Okay. And then every night at dinner time, say, Mom, Dad, we haven't done the memory verse tonight. We should practice our memory verse, right? You've got to remind them because they need to memorize it. <laughs> All right, do you see the verse? This verse comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it's verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. All right, let's say our prayer. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, 
have mercy upon us. Amen. All right, you guys can go sit down. Can I move this a little Absolutely, bit? Absolutely, I'll take that. That's right. That's great. Thank you. Lord be with you. Let's pray together. Father, as we study your word together today, we pray that by your spirit you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and grace in our hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to, uh, uh, I want to thank whoever chose Thine Be the Glory as hymn for today. Uh, I can tell you exactly the last time I sang that. It was on February 13th of 2021. It was the processional hymn the day I was made a bishop. Because I chose that hymn. Because I love the, the fact that it proclaims the victory of Jesus. He's alive, never to die again, ruling and reigning over the earth. And he leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And so that was, uh, that was wonderfully refreshing to me today. Thank you very much. Um, it is a, a joy for Terry and me to be with you this morning. Um, it is my first time, the best I know of, in Nicholasville, Kentucky, uh, but it won't be the last. And uh, I, I know you're blessed. I know this is a, like a zone of blessing because gasoline is cheaper here than in Lexington <laughs> or Cincinnati or Ohio. So the favor of the Lord is on you in a unique way. That's a wonderful thing. Count your blessings. Um, it's, a, it's just a joy for us. Uh, we had a chance to talk to some of the vestry and leaders earlier today, and they were asking what it's like you know, traveling all over a really spread out diocese. And it does have its challenges, but it has great joys. And one of the things that Bishop Bill Murdoch, one of my mentor bishops, uh, really emphasized for me in the lead up time to having hands laid on me to be consecrated a bishop was he said, Mark, you need to be really mindful of the fact that being a bishop is not just about what you will do in terms of administrative things and decisions and helping churches and all those things. But you have to understand that uh, being a bishop is about who you are. And uh, the bishops are, uh, are ordained and consecrated in historic succession because we're to be the visible reminder every place we go, every time we show up, that uh, we are connected with the whole body of Christ. Bishops are made bishops for the whole church. And so we're supposed to represent the fact, I don't know if you realize this or not, this, I mean, walked in and he just said, well, that's that guy with the purple shirt on. But, <laughs> but we're actually to show up and be the visible reminder that we're connected horizontally. We have a big diocese and we're part of the ACNA and GAFCON, which is our Bible-believing Anglicans all over the world. And we're part of all of that. You're part of something really big. And, and then secondly, because of that uh, ordination in historic succession, we're connected to the church throughout all the ages. Uh, we celebrate it when we come to the Eucharist with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, this, this church triumphant, this cloud of witnesses, we're all part of this big thing 
that God has done and is doing. And uh, that's what I actually want to talk to you a little bit about today because I feel like it's, uh, it's, it's really important that we have that understanding. Um, we passed, uh, driving over here just from uh, where we were staying in Lexington, uh, driving over here this morning, we passed a couple of churches. No, we passed a lot of churches. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, there's we just one after another after another. And actually, I saw the, the Chinese church that if we had time, I want to stop in on the way home because we were missionaries in Taiwan for 10 years. And I'd love to worship in Chinese again. That'd be a wonderful thing. But uh, I got to thinking about it and thinking about what's the message that's being preached in each one of these churches. And I believe a lot of them are, are probably faithful, Bible-believing churches. But I know for many years, even in, in my growing up, in my time in the church and the messages that I've heard, um, we, have, we have sometimes missed the mark of preaching the big idea of God's plan. And, and we get right to the doorway of it but we don't walk all the way through it. And this is what I mean by that. We, we often will preach and tell people that the, the big idea is that you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins so that when you die, you'll go to heaven and not go to that other place. Uh, I, I don't know how the, the young years here take those things, so I'll be careful with all that. Yeah. But uh, so, and, and that is absolutely true. That's really, really important but that's the beginning of the big idea. And so sometimes the best message we give people is trust Jesus, uh, love him, make sure your sins are forgiven so that when you die, you'll go to heaven. And until you do, be really good. You know, just be good and tell other people about Jesus and tell them to be good. But what comes after that? You know, you know there's, the Bible goes all the way to the last chapter of Revelation, right? And, and what, yeah, I have these really deep theological insights all the time. Try to stay with me. And so, and so what happens at the end is a whole new beginning, right? There's a new heaven and a new earth. And so having our sins forgiven is the entry point into the beginning of being completely shaped and made to be a people who are ready again to fulfill God's purposes and have dominion over creation. And, and this whole makeover God is going to do, it's better than all the shows on TV about the old houses. It's a it's glorious makeover to the original created design. And so the big idea is God is, is re, redoing, reordering the whole universe to the perfect plan before sin entered the garden with Adam and Eve. And, and it's, a, it's a big idea that helps us when we keep all of that in mind to navigate through the difficulties and the challenges of life. The big idea is that, that God is bringing a flourishing to all of his creation and the, the way it, 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 it operates is with humanity, human beings who are flourishing to lead and have dominion over it under his authority. Irenaeus, early church father, said, The glory of God is man fully alive. Mm -hmm. What that means is it's not just, it's not just, and it's a big thing. I don't, don't ever hear me say it's not important to know your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven when you die. 
But that heaven is going to pass away because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, all in the new creation. That, that's a temporary heaven, an intermediate. Christ called it paradise on the cross with the thief on the cross. You'll be with me today in paradise. But a day is coming when heaven and earth come together fully again. And this is where we're going to live. And so the glory of God is a humanity that is fully alive, reshaped, remade by the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance with the truth of His Word to fully live into our purposes, to, to carry out His purposes in all of creation. So we've been through a pandemic. There's war in Ukraine. There's political unrest in other nations of the earth, Myanmar and other places. There's economic uncertainty. There's, and that's the stuff, big stuff that's happening in nations, let alone the challenges we face in our own lives and families. And in the midst of all of that, it's so easy to lose sight of the big plan, the big idea. But it's really helpful when we do because it helps us understand what God's doing in us during this season and the challenges that he's gracing us to overcome. The big idea, the big plan is still on. The big plan is still on. Nothing, nothing sidetracks it. Nothing derails it. The big plan is still on. He, he is going to accomplish all of his purposes in creation. And nothing, the devil, nothing is going to stand against it so that it cannot happen. And so uh, today's readings, it, we, we see this, we see this reminder, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead assures us that nothing can derail this plan. If death can't derail it, nothing can derail it. That's the last enemy that he's putting under his feet, right? And so here's, real quickly, I want to just take you through a couple thoughts from the readings today related to this. I say real quickly, I, you know, that's a relative term. Uh, but in, in, I, I'm trying, I really am trying. Some people, my wife would probably say I'm a very trying person, I don't know. Uh, but here's, here's what I see unfolding in the scriptures. Um, there's, there was an alter, alternate Old Testament reading for today in Jeremiah. And it's not real long, so I want to read it. You, you can stand a little more scripture, can't you? Oh, please, yes. come on, a little better response than that. Uh, so, like, we really love the Bible, Bishop, but don't read too much of it. Um, no, so, you know the story in Jeremiah, there, the people of Israel are about to go into exile, but before they ever go into exile, uh, the people of Judah, God is already telling them what's going to happen when he brings them back. He's already telling them how he's going to restore all of those, those things that they were created for. And so in Jeremiah 32, beginning with verse 36, listen to this. Listen to this, really. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence, the fall of Jerusalem. Behold, God says, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Now listen to this. And this is all the good stuff God's going to do. And listen to his attitude while he's doing it. 
I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Isn't that amazing? The, the, the God's big plan that, that is not going to fail. He's not going to allow anything to sidetrack it or keep it from coming to fruition. And so with, with the people of Judah, because of their sin, they went into exile, but God is going to bring them back and restore them fully and completely. It's, it's so powerful. This is what's being reflected in Psalm 33 that you chanted beautifully, by the way. Uh, well done. Psalm 33, there's, there's more to it than what we chanted this morning. And if you, if you look at it, you see the first few verses is all about praising God joyfully. And the last few verses is all about having hope in the steadfast love of the Lord. The middle part is all about why we do those things. The middle part is, tells us why we rejoice joyfully and why by the end of it we're absolutely confident in hope in the steadfast love of the Lord. And I'll just begin reading a few verses in the middle. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. And he, he talks about the fact that nothing's going to derail his plan. He is going to accomplish his purposes on earth, and he's going to do it through a people that he absolutely restores, strengthens, confirms, and has working with him in carrying this plan forward. It's, it's a powerful, powerful promise that we see through the nation of Israel. And by the way, remember what God said about Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He said, I did not choose you because you were the most numerous nation on the face of the earth. I didn't choose you because you're the ones that were the bright spots that had it all together. You know, I actually chose you were the smallest of the nations, and I chose you because then there's a very clear demonstration of my glory and my power through you. And that's exactly true of us in the church. You know, the church has a big part in this plan. God is, is not done with Israel. He's still going to completely fulfill his purposes. But as, as Israel failed to enter fully into that, God brought all of us and grafted us in in this thing called the church, grafted into Israel. And, and we now have much of the same assignment that they had of carrying the knowledge of who God is to the nations around us. And so we're, we're called to be Messiah's disciples on mission in the world. So in John 21, we read, this is the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. Now, remember the context that that happens in. In Acts 1.3, Luke tells us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, we don't know the exact dialogue of everything that happened that day by the sea. We know they talked about fish and breakfast and that stuff, which is good stuff. But I, I don't think, I don't think, you know, the other, the other day, my administrative assistant texted me three questions in a row, and so I answered them, and I said, I will, yes, no. 
So I got a text back from her, and she says, good talk, right? Um, I'm just getting after business, right? You know, good talk. So I, I can't imagine at the end of John 21, it's like they had some fish and talked about how they came. Okay, Jesus, good talk. And, you know, I'm going to... No, he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. He's telling them the plan is still on. We're still sending you to all the nations of the earth. We're, God is still making all things new. And he's re- reassuring them of their place in this plan. And, and we know it's exactly supposed to work exactly the way it was supposed to work with Israel. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read Paul say this to the, to the Corinthians, and God says it to us today. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one who boasts boast in the Lord. God's got this amazing plan, we're part of it, and it's not because we're the smartest, best-looking crew that ever came along in the earth. It's because He has lavished His love on us and poured His grace into us to make us into what He created and redeemed us to be. And so that tells us this is what's happening. I'm, I'm really close to, to finishing this up, so you should take great great hope and joy and delight in this. I never do this this fast. And so, so there's this big plan, and we have a part in it. And so, so this is why uh, it helps us understand what God's doing in our lives day by day. So he's getting us ready. He's working on us because we have a big part to play in this, in this manifesting his glory in all the nations. And so in Revelation chapter 5, this is where you should start interceding right now. This is one of my most favorite passages of Scripture, and I could preach on it, sing, and pray for hours over Revelation chapter 5. This is, this is the focal point of history where everything breaks loose into the final stages of a new heaven and a new earth. Because this is where Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, who is the Lion of Judah, when, when all of creation is, is wailing and crying because no one is worthy to take the scroll. What's the scroll? The scroll is the title deed of heaven and earth. It's what Satan fought his rebellion over and wanted control of. And now, this, now Jesus, who alone is worthy to restore all things, comes forward. They couldn't find anyone, anywhere that was worthy. He comes forward and he breaks the seals. And the moment he starts breaking the seals, stuff starts happening. Mm -hmm. And it's all the stuff that's going to happen to usher in the new heaven and the new earth. And so I I checked myself right there because I was going to really get going. And so look at what what happens right in the middle of that passage in Revelation chapter 5. Again, there were a few verses before in the readings that we could have read. But here's, here's, what the, here's what the multitudes are singing and praying and praising. Listen to this. 
Verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Listen. For you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here's the connection. The big plan is getting carried through to completion through a people that God has absolutely redeemed and restored. One or two could have said amen about that. That would have been okay. Uh, but, but this is what's happening. Notice then, then how does chapter 6 begin? Now I watched and the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. The Lamb doesn't start opening seals to usher in all of the new creation of the new heaven and the new earth until God's people are made ready. The bride has made herself ready. Now he can, now he can bring it all to completion because the people are ready to occupy and have dominion over it like Adam and Eve in the original creation before the fall. This is what he's doing. This is what he's, he's already at work. He's ransomed us. He's making us a kingdom and priests, sanctifying us by his spirit, reshaping us, remaking us, causing us to look more and more like Jesus in all of that fullness so that we're ready to step into our rightful place and reign with him over the new heaven and the new earth. And so that asks the question, how are you doing personally at getting ready? How are you cooperating with this work that Jesus is doing in you? He's ransomed you, right? Mm -hmm. He's bought you back with his own blood. He's forming you to be a kingdom, to know how to walk in power in the spirit. He's shaping you to be priests, people who who carry his kingdom back and forth and represent the world to God and God to the world. He's giving us all of these opportunities. And I'm here to tell you, friends, it's happening all around us every day. Every single day. This is what the, the story in Acts chapter 9 is about. This is the conversion of Saul. Saul of Tarsus, who becomes known as Paul. Uh, real quickly, I, see, I'm getting four messages in here by going to each text, but it's okay. So real quickly, what's happening? Saul is this guy who is incredibly gifted. He, he is incredibly uh, forceful and, and wise and has all of these great attributes. He's just spending it all in the wrong direction. He's using it all for the wrong purposes. And so it says in Acts chapter 9... Now he went, this is interesting, it says, now Saul, he got his orders where he could persecute Christians, and it says, and he went on his way. He went on his way. Not God's way. He thought it was God's way. He thought he was serving God, but he was going up to Damascus, and he was on his mission, his way. And God said, this is the, this is the time. I've got to get him back on track. This is the time I've got to get him doing my way instead of his way. And so, you know the story. Jesus appears to him. There's this blinding light. He suddenly has a revelation of who Jesus is. And now, 
Jesus says, now you go into the city, because now he's not going there his way, he's going to go there Jesus' way. And they have to lead him into the city, because he doesn't know Jesus' way yet. So they lead him into the city. And then he has to arrange for Ananias to come, who knows God and knows his way and lays hands on him. And of course, Ananias is kind of scared about that, because Saul's got a pretty nasty reputation, right? But when God explains it to him, then Ananias gets convinced and bold. And what did God explain to him? He said, he said, Ananias, I need you to do this, verse 15, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So he tells Ananias, Ananias, I need you to go do this because Saul has this really important part in my plan and because I need to get him on track, you have a really important part in my plan because I need you to go and be my hands and feet to get Saul back on track. You see? See how all of us have a place and a part in bringing this plan to absolute fruition. And none of those, none of us have an insignificant part. This is, this is the reality of how whatever we're going through, Whatever we're facing in our personal lives, our family, our job, anything, God says he's taking all of it and working it for good. Not, not working it for good so, just so we're happy, but he says in verse 29 of Romans 8 what the good is, that we become conformed to the image of his son, that we're a people made ready to step into our full role in the new heaven and the new earth. And he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God causes all grace to abound to us, to that purpose. Grace is not only the unmerited favor of God that our sins can be forgiven and we receive it as a free gift. It is that, but it's more than that. Grace is the enabling favor of God to accomplish everything he desires for us to accomplish. It says of Jesus that he grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and man. That word favor is the exact same word grace. Jesus never had to have forgiveness of sins because he never sinned. But he grew in grace. He grew in favor, the enabling, empowering favor of God to accomplish his whole mission as Messiah. God is causing all grace to abound to us so that we can we can fully grow up into everything he created and redeemed us to be to fully live into this plan in in the world and when that happens when when i remember that i pay more attention to what's going on around me i i i, I make myself more available to what god might want to do through me it's easy to just move along in life, kind of going from place to place, crisis management, taking care of the next thing, and forgetting the big picture. And so I just want to close real quickly with, with two stories, one from a month ago. You like stories, don't you? No. Not, not enough to just say amen, Bishop, and let's get on with it. No. Um, so uh, a little over a month ago, we had gone to the consecration for the new bishop in South Carolina. And on Sunday, we were driving home. It was a strange day for us not being in a church somewhere. So church was the cab of the Dodge Ram. And, uh, and I, we were listening to an audio book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, 
which a good friend had suggested I get and gave to me two years before, but I was too busy to read it. <laughs> um, and, so, and so the Lord is really speaking to us, and we're just enjoying this time together. And we stopped. I felt the strong leading of the Lord to go to Cracker Barrel. Uh, and I, I, but I feel that every day. Uh, and, and so we, we pulled into this Cracker Barrel, and it was real busy. young lady came over to service. And uh, she spoke, she got to the table and she spoke really lightly. And she said, she said, I'm sorry, but I had some surgery done in my mouth. And so I'm, it's still a little tender. So I'm sorry, but I'm going to talk kind of quietly. And we said, oh, that's fine. So she served us throughout the meal, did a beautiful job. But um, you could tell, it, it seemed like there was something more bothering her than just this thing. Mm-hmm. And so I asked God about it. Now, if, if you want to just focus on your pot roast and not be bothered with anything, don't ask God about things going on in people around you. you know, and, and, and there's a part of me that just wanted to focus on pot roast. But I asked God, and immediately I said, Lord, is there anything? I noticed she had faith tattooed on one wrist and love on the other. And I'm like, okay. And, uh, and so I just said, Lord, is there something you want to say to her? Her name was Danny. I said, is there something you want to say to Danny? And immediately he said, yes, I want you to tell her three things. And so she came back over to the table. Now, this is the way my wife usually operates. You know, she has a really keen prophetic gifting, and I usually focus on pot roast and preaching and other things. Um, and, but this is what I'm saying. We all have a part in this plan if we just listen that God's doing things. So she comes over and I said, Danny, I feel like the Lord has something that he wants me to share with you that's on his heart. Is that okay? And she said, well, yeah. And I said, number one, the Lord knows exactly the circumstances of what you're going through right now. And she started to weep. She said, you're going to make me cry. I should have said, no, God's going to make you cry, but it's okay because he's going to make it better. Uh, so God knows exactly the circumstances you're going through. Secondly, everything you're experiencing in this season that seems like a great loss, God is going to restore to you. And she cried more. And I said, thirdly, there have been some people who've spoken to you for God, well-meaning people, but some of the things they've said to you are not really how God feels about you. And at the end, as she's just tears running down her face, she said, thank you so much. She said, I'm going through a divorce. My husband and I were married for seven years, and he just walked out of our lives. And it's me and the three kids. And I'm trying to work and raise three kids and go to school. And, you know, this means so much to me. And so, you know, Terry then prayed for her, and we made sure, in addition to the nice tip we left, that we gave her a large gift because she's trying to raise three kids on her own because we got to be the hands and feet of Jesus to, to other people. And that's just because I, for, for, a, for a moment, I quit thinking about pot roast and just said, Lord, what's on your heart for this person? I didn't learn to do that in seminary. They don't teach classes on that in seminary. They, you know, we can all do that. We can all listen to what God has on his heart for people because he's working all of us to be a part of this plan and bringing it to fruition. Hey, last story real quick. Checking out of the hotel this morning and the, the woman behind the desk was really friendly and, and started talking to me, saw the collars kind of a giveaway. And you know, she, she was asking whether I was, was Roman Catholic or something else. We talked a little bit about that, but she, she was very kind and you know, just said, Lord bless you and all that. 
And so I went out to the truck. I told Terry, I said, I'm going to run back in and use the restroom before I go. And, uh, and I thought, I've got to go back over and talk to her again. And so I went back over, and, and her, her name's Susan. And I said, Susan, you, thank you so much. You were so kind. You took such good care of us while we were here. And I said, can, can I pray a blessing on you? And she's like, well, yeah, I would love that. And, and I said, is there, is there anything specific? And she goes, she says, yeah, let me think. And she stood there, and she was kind of thinking real hard. And I went, it doesn't have to be real specific. You know, we'll just pray whatever. No, 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 I want it to be really specific because I like when I do that, and God shows up, and I know it's him kind of thing. And so we had this beautiful time just praying for her. I prayed that the, her dog Marley's legs would get better was part of what I prayed for her. And then I prayed a whole bunch of other stuff on top of that. But that's what she asked specifically for. And, I, and she said, I love Smith Wigglesworth and miracles and all that. And, and then she prayed for me. And I, I, was, I was that close to just getting in the truck and leaving. But I knew I had to go back and offer and just at least say, can I pray for you? This is, see, this is where the big plan comes into every moment of where we live. Every, every moment of every day, God is at work shaping us as his people that will live in to the fullness of his big plan. So may God grace you to, to be fully engaged with him this week and in the, in the days to come. May he, may he, by the Holy Spirit, remind us all more and more of the big plan so that we don't get bogged in the, in the day-to-day stuff in the next crisis. But we remember that all of that is under his careful control and that he's leading us into one heart and one way, like he said in Jeremiah, and he's rejoicing to do good to us and faithfully establishing us as his people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for this. We ask you by your Holy Spirit to seal in our hearts the reality of your love, your purpose, and your plan for us that is unfailing and that we praise you once again that you are the God who always finishes what you start, being confident of this very thing, that he who began this good work in us will perform and perfect and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 Would you lead us in the creed? Mm-hmm. Let's stand together. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <clears throat> we join together now as we declare our faith in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. 
and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. For the peace of the whole world. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.